I want to tell you a little story. We're talking about prayer this month. And this morning, two people contacted me to let me know that they were praying for me, which I always appreciate. One was a man who lives in Kentucky. He's an executive with UPS. And I met him, of all places, in Russia as we went on a short-term trip about 10 years ago. I've told you, I think, about him before. Every Sunday since I've met him, he texts me that he's praying for me and for the message, for our church. I mean, it's, it's a great encouragement. Another lady that called me is from Franklin, North Carolina. Now, I used to go to Franklin, North Carolina as a teenager and would do short-term mission trips, probably been there, I don't know, four or five times. And she said she'd be praying for me. Here's the funny thing. She called the wrong number. <laughs> she thought she was calling her sister, and she called twice. And finally, uh, as we got to talking, you know, she said, God bless you. And I said, well, I'm a pastor in, in Missouri. She goes, well, I'm going to be praying for you this morning. So I thought, you know what? I appreciate prayer no matter how I can get it, all right? That was just, uh, that was just really cool, though, just to have that, have that little connection. I'm going to be talking today about some might call a touchy subject. And, you know, we live, we live, in, a, uh, we live in a town that has a uh, division of some sorts. Oh, I hope it's getting better. I think it is in terms of Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals, right? People that are AG, people who are not. And, and frankly, my position on a lot of these things is I don't really care. And I mean that sincerely. I don't really care what people think about those particulars. I think our body's big enough to accept people who disagree on those things. That's, that's the most honest answer I can give on that. But you can't get away from the questions and from the conversations simply because of where we live. We hear terms like praying in the spirits or being filled with the spirits. And I often have people uh, ask me, are you a spirit-filled church? Well, knowing where we live in the center of AG country, I know what they mean, but I like to play with them a little bit. And I say, absolutely, we're spirit-filled. And I remember one couple when I answered that, the husband who actually knew me, he goes, honey, I don't think he means what you think it means. But the, the, the fact is, is that there are different meanings to phrases like that. I also think there are certain kind of catchphrases that, in my opinion, have lost their meaning because people listen for those phrases with a real critical ear and then kind of go apoplectic when they hear them because it just bells go off. You know, things like, once saved, always saved. Uh, losing your salvation. Or praying in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Just depending on where you are on those things, you know, you're going to get a litany of reasons as to why they believe or don't believe in that. And so it's kind of like throwing Christian grenades. Just throw one of those, lob one of those into the conversation, and you're going to see the smoke. And again, it doesn't matter what, what side you're on. So frankly, I try not to even use those terms when I'm preaching because people can't get beyond hearing the phrases and then you, you lose your audience. I'm going to risk having this discussion with you today, though, because I think it's critical that we understand at least what I think the Bible means as we try to grade our, our biblical framework and, and grade our, our experiences. And first of all, let me tell you is, I don't, I don't feel like I have a corner on the market. I don't claim that everything that comes out of my mouth, you ought to believe 100%. Sometimes I get it wrong, all right? I'm not the standard. 
The Word of God is the standard. Amen? So I can only give you the best that I can do in terms of my own study, in terms of, you know, what, how I understand it. And just so you know, I wrote a, a five-page letter this week to one of the leading Pentecostal theologians who I happen to be friends with, and I said, all right, here's my thinking. Shoot holes in it. You tell me what the problems are here, and I really want to get your honest perspective. Now, and, and he wrote me back very kind, and we're going we're gonna to get together and, and talk about it some more. But uh, just know my heart in this. I want to try to educate myself, all right? I want to try to follow the Scripture. And I want you to align your experience with the Scripture and not just what I say. Again, the final word is not me. It's the living, breathing Word of God. That's the final word. So, of course, we've been doing this series on prayer. And here's the relevant question. Are we praying in the Spirit? Are we praying in the Spirit? There are two very specific injunctions given in the Bible about praying in the Spirit in Ephesians 6.18 and Jude 20. And if you look at your screen, you see it up there. Praying at all times in the Spirit. And then this is in that section about our spiritual warfare and putting on the full armor of God with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication to all the saints. And then in Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. By being an injunction, that means it's a command. That means that all of us are called to pray in the Spirit. So you're probably asking, what the heck does that mean? Well, that term or that phrase, in the Spirit, is used over 20 times in the New Testament. So what does the Scripture really mean by that? Well, let's check this out. Uh, for instance, in Matthew twenty two forty three, David is said to have uh, called out the Lord in the Spirit. In Luke 1, 17, John the Baptist would minister in the Spirit of Elijah, meaning in the, in the same way that Elijah ministered. Uh, Luke two twenty seven, Simeon was brought into the temple to see Jesus, and, and it says that Simeon did this in the Spirit. Acts 19.21, Paul resolves to go to other cities to minister in the Spirit. And Romans 8.9, uh, Christians who have the indwelling Spirit are not to walk by the flesh, but it says they're to walk in the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, it says that when people call Christ Lord, recognize His Lordship, they can only do that in the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 14, too, people who speak in tongues speaks mysteries, it says, in the Spirit. And then I showed you Ephesians 6, 18, we're to pray in the Spirit. Uh, Philippians 2, 1, we're encouraged to express unity because of the fellowship or participation in the Spirit. In Colossians 1, 8, Epaphras made known to Paul how the uh, Colossians loved, and it says that they loved in the Spirit. And then there's several passages in the book of Revelation where John was, where it was given visions, it says, in the Spirit. What does that mean, in the Spirit like this? Well, I think the idea is that in, in conjunction with the leading and prompting and power of the Spirit, we are, we are called to accomplish varying tasks, and I think we see that represented 
in the variety of ways in which people were in the Spirit. Now, being in the Spirit doesn't have, according to these passages we just read, one exclusive trait other than the Spirit being the driving force of the action that was being done in whatever that particular verse was and whatever the action was in that verse. So, could the same be said for praying in the Spirit? Praying in the Spirit may at times be tongues, as we read in, in 1 Corinthians 14. That's, that's certainly possible, all right? But tongues does not seem to be the exclusive or even necessary characteristic. Most places where it speaks of being in the Spirit has nothing to do with tongues. The Spirit, though, we could say this. The Spirit is indispensable in any and all tasks. In other words, we're, we're to operate in the will and the power of God or in the Spirit. So to pray in the Spirit may at times include tongues, but tongues is not the essence of being in the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit of God, to do the will of God, in the power of God, that is the premier characteristic of being in the Spirit. And so, being in the Spirit is an all-encompassing characteristic that touches upon all areas of life. Did you know that Harriet Tubman was a spy? She was. Even in moments of extreme danger, she demonstrated nothing but raw, calm courage. You probably know her story. Born in the 1820s, she was nearly killed by her master when he threw a metal object at her. And then she staged a, a daring escape in 1849 and spent years rescuing hundreds out of slavery and leading them to safety. Her code name was Moses, for obvious re reasons, leading others out of bondage. But during the Civil War, she became a secret agent for the Union Army, working behind enemy lines to scout out the territory. And despite a bounty on her head, she always was able to evade capture. Tubman was a devout follower of Christ. She spent much of her time learning, memorizing, meditating on various passages of the Bible, such as her beloved Isaiah 16.3, hide the fugitives, do not betray the refugees. And as she pondered the passages, she would turn them into prayers. And she learned to pray about everything. This is what she says out of her biography. I prayed all the time, she told her biographer, about my work everywhere. I was always talking to the Lord. When I went to the horse trough to wash my face and took up the water in my hands, I said, Oh Lord, wash me, make me clean. When I took up the towel to wipe my face and hands, I cried, Oh Lord, for Jesus' sake, wipe away all my sins. When I took up the broom and began to sweep, I groaned, Oh Lord, Whatsoever sin there be in my heart, sweep it out, Lord, clear and clean. I think this is a great example of Harriet Tubman praying in the Spirit.
Praying about everything. Praying in the will of God. Now, praying in the Spirit has great power because of the one we pray to has limitless strength. Listen to this out of James. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I want you to notice that nature was moved by prayer. Does prayer have power? Great power. People were healed by prayer. Praying in the Spirit has great power. In Philip Yancey's book on prayer, he says, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two things, why God doesn't act the way we want God to, why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those themes converge. I love that. So, how are we then to pray for one another? Does the Bible give us any direction? Do you ever find yourself wondering how to pray for another person? I mean, how do you pray in the Spirit or the will of God in a, fa- in a fashion in which, you know, God would, would find favor upon your requests? What items should we pray about or maybe not pray about? Because in, in James 4, you might remember that there are things there in which James says, the reason you're not getting your prayers answered is because you're asking with the wrong motives. You're asking selfishly, right? And another reason he says that you're not getting your prayers answered is, is why? Because you're not praying. <laughs> you're, not, you're not receiving because you're not asking. I mean, that's a simple thing, right? That's a simple thing. I would much rather have God say no to a bunch of my prayers than to not have him address the prayers that I never utter. So I thought what would be cool is to search every time prayer is mentioned in the New Testament. And it's been a great study. Now, what were the things that people actually prayed for? Now, some of them may surprise you. And others you might wish were not even in the Bible, like this first one. Pray for those who have hurt you. Matthew 5.44 says, but I say to you, and by the way, who's, who's this talking? Jesus. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, if we were writing that, it might be, you know, uh, don't kill your enemies, sue them. <laughs> Um, if you can get some money out of them, you know, even the scales, you know, that's not what he says. Now, think of how our minds would be much clearer and relationships less cluttered if we prayed for those who hurt us. Wow. I mean, we like to gather around our allies when somebody hurts us, right? We talk to others. There's been a lot of news the last couple weeks about sexual abuse. Now, when we think about physical or sexual or emotional abuse, we know it's always good to tell somebody else. That, that, that's a good thing. 
But let me just add one other factor. Pray for the abuser. Pray for the abuser. Praying for those who have hurt us reminds our hearts that God understands our pain and that he can provide comfort and healing in the deepest portions of our hurts. Don't you believe that God is there and can comfort? I sure do. Pray for your enemies. Next, we're to pray for physical and spiritual health. I'll read through these quickly. Acts 28.8. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. But she never thought the dysentery was in the Bible, but there you go. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And then we read this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great what? Has great power because it is working. Listen, let us not be guilty of trying to put God in some theological box and saying he doesn't heal today. I sure as heck don't want to do that. God does heal. And we are, we are commanded to pray this way. We're given examples to pray that way. But we're also to pray for spiritual restoration as well. 2 Corinthians 13, 9. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. The Corinthian church was sick. They were practicing several sins, including sexual sins, and there was unforgiveness in the church. And Paul prays that they would be healthy spiritually. And then John, I think, sums it up in 3 John 2. He says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Health, soul. Prays for good health with both. And so we're to pray for physical and spiritual healing. Here's another thing we're to pray for. How do we pray for others? Pray for godly fruit to be produced in others. Colossians 1.9, and so from the day that we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then 2 Thessalonians, to this end, we also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Hebrews 13.18, Pray for us, for we, are sure, uh, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience designed to act honorably in all things. And then 2 Corinthians 13, 7. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Specific things to pray for, godly traits, in praying for others. Parents, take out these verses. Lay your hands on your children and pray for these things. Josh and Leslie, pray for that little guy. These specific things that would be in his life 
and all of us as parents. Pray over our children that way. Ministry leaders here at this church, pray for those under your care that those traits be manifested in their life. Spouses, pray for your spouse that those things not only be in your life, but for your spouse as well. And then we're to pray for our church and other ministries to be effective. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And then we read this in Luke 10.2, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Pray earnestly, day and night, that we may see what is lacking and that God would make up that gap about what is lacking in people's faith. And people often ask me, how can I pray for you? This is how you can pray. Pray that the word of God be honored and obeyed at CCC. Pray that God would raise up laborers in our church. And we've got two positions to fill right now for staff. You, you can pray for that. Pray that this church would supply what is lacking in the faith of those who attend. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says, We pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So if you want to pray specifically for CCC, now if you have your smartphone app, these will be listed in your smartphone app as you follow along with the message so you, you have a record of this. You, you can pray for accomplishment of our mission, equipping and empowering people in their God-given gifts to advance the kingdom of Christ. There's also a list on CCB, our kind of church communication hub, of over 30 things to pray for for our church. You can find it under the, the church section, under files, and it, it has a list there that you can pray for the church. Specific thing. In, in, in a broad sense, as far as accomplishing our, our, our mission, let me give you three kind of broad goals that you could consider. Strengthening our foundation. Pray for CCC to strengthen our foundation. Pray for us to expand our reach. And pray for us to build for our future. Okay? Now, in in strengthening our foundation, what does that mean? Well, that, that means that we're addressing how we disciple young believers, that there's a path for discipleship, there's a path for, for gift discovery and, and for new believers, that there's, there's biblical worldview training, that we value fellowship and small group participation, that, that we develop systems that, that facilitate our goals, that prayer would be part of our DNA, that that is all a part of strengthening our foundation. And in expanding our reach, what does that mean? Well, that we address things like, like small group reproduction, that our church be able to plant other churches, that we develop international partnerships like we have in Guatemala, and that there become increased community impact. I mean, I love what we're doing with Fairbanks in the inner city, and what we've done with the, the, other, the white and the black churches and bringing them together here in Springfield. But there's, there's so much more to do in terms of addressing poverty. And the city has called upon us to help out. We had Greg Burris in our church calling us to help to address these issues. And we have specific tasks that we can do to impact the community. So we're looking to expand our reach. And next, we build for our future. 
That means that we strengthen our leadership development. Just this past year, we had uh, people come in and do an assessment of our leadership. Uh, we, we uh, as I mentioned, we, we plant other churches. And we consider facility expansion. Now, the elders talked this last meeting about how we can position ourselves in order to do that because we are, we are presently facility poor. We'll be talking about that more late, later. But these are specific things related to strengthening our foundation, expanding our reach, and building for the future. That's how you can pray for this church. So, would you like to pray in the Spirit? Hopefully, absolutely, yes. Then you know what that means? That means we pray about everything. That means we pray according to the will of God. That means we pray for those who have hurt us. We pray for physical and spiritual healing. We pray for godly fruit to be produced in others. And we pray for our church and other ministries to be effective. How does this start? We start by praying about all things. That, that's certainly true. But let me leave you with this. Men, how many men I got in the congregation today? Raise your hand. Men, thank you. Okay. Men, you, listen to me, you are the catalyst. You are the catalyst for prayer. You say, what? Listen to this. This was a verse written to a young pastor on how he should conduct affairs in the church. Paul says this to Timothy. I desire then that in every place the men, and by the way, that's gender specific, the men should pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. I could have done it without that last part, but he had to add that. Without anger or quarreling. Notice. Every place, pray with your wife. Pray with your kids. Pray at the church. Pray for your workmates. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the lingo. In fact, usually it's preferred you not use all the, you know, Christian fancy jargon. You don't have to have memorized the book of Psalms to pray. Just pray and do it all the time. Because you know what? You know who the catalyst is? It's the men. It's the men. Now listen, I know if I were to ask each and every man right here, right now, you'd probably say, hey, I need to pray more. Or maybe even I'm not doing it. I can't remember the last time I've prayed with my wife. Hey, listen, is your heart still beating right here? If it is, you still got time. Start, okay? Pray, right? Just do it. A prayerless man, listen to me, a prayerless man is an independent man who doesn't need God. Is that what you want to communicate to your kids? Is that what you want to communicate to everybody around you? I don't need God, so I don't need to pray. On this point, no one is really interested in what you say, but what you do. So, Pick up the ball, get on the court, and pray. That's what we're called to do. Let's bow your head with me.